0: Please join me in prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. So I'm reading this morning from Philippians 3, 1-14, and this is written by the Apostle Paul. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those manip- manipulators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we, are we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to be my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to hold of, to, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do now, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Janet. There, well, thank you. Thank you, Janet, for those kind words. Thank you, Chris and Jamie. Thank you for the church, for the invitation. Thank you for the gifts. Um, Laurie and I are taking a retirement trip next month, and when I get back, I'm gonna have new chicks ordered, so this is good. Um, Janet reminded me this morning that in 12 years, out of 151 churches, the American Baptist Churches of Vermont, New Hampshire welcomed over 90 new pastors. And I didn't know that number till my secretary figured it up a couple of months ago. And you were part of that whole new cadre and wave of new pastors that God just brought to us. And sometimes search committees as recently as December would say to me, can you just go off the map for us, Dale? Help us find somebody. And I never had any problem going off the map. And, uh, or can we put the book aside, Dale, and try this? And God would just amazingly bless those efforts. And you're part of the blessing in that. So thank you. Jamie Chris i 'm um, retiring uh, well I actually all my executive and administrative duties ended July 1st, and I 'm keeping some speaking appointments and engagements and this is my second to the last one, so it really is a privilege to be with you next Sunday. our very last one is going to be Berlin, New Hampshire and uh, So, one end of the state to the other. Last Sunday, we were in Alton, New Hampshire and just got out of town after church on the one remaining road left open, otherwise we may have spent the week in Alton. Um, So we're kind of winding down to a new season, Laurie and I, after 40 years of ministry. And I jokingly tell people I wouldn't have called me when I was 24. (laughs) I'm not sure I would have called me when I was 54. Never mind 24, man. But here I am, you know. uh, I was praying one day, and God just laid it on my heart and said, you've been at this 40 years, and uh, you can kind of, you know, step back now. And I say, yeah, but God, that's not quite where I am. And God said, yeah, but I've sent you some pretty good signs. It's time to step back. So you need to do that. It hasn't been a dove, hasn't been a raven, hasn't been a rainbow, but let the ark come to rest on the mountain after a period of 40 years so we're looking forward to a new season of life and retirement and i want to thank you again for all your support encouragement your gifts and thank you again for answering a call here um, one of the things i've discovered about approaching retirement is people ask me questions and there's certain expectations sometimes people ask me questions like i'm supposed to complete one final resume before i retire like tell me what you've done with your life and uh i don't know if it's a resume or an obituary they're asking for in all honesty but it's like uh, you had 40 years of ministry what was all that about um And then some people have actually said, so what's given you the greatest sense of satisfaction? What's been the most meaningful thing in your life? And I appreciate the sincerity and even the boldness of that question. And if I have to replay the tape, it comes down to this. A nine-year-old boy at an afternoon Bible club in a rundown Baptist parsonage invited Jesus Christ into his life. And everything else after that is simply and only a footnote. I tell people I was the first generation of my father's family not to milk cows for a living. I'm not sure that was the greatest DNA to bring into ministry because I thought everybody worked 70 hours a week and that's just what you did whether you made any money or not. Right? Somebody asked me a few weekends ago when I was up around Lake Winnipesaukee if I knew how to back up a boat, I said no but I know how to back up a manure spreader. What has given me the most satisfaction and the most gratitude of having been a Christian since I was nine years old and in 40 years of pastoral ministry has to been in a worship service in a sanctuary or alone or sitting in the Western Priory and knowing the real resurrected presence of jesus christ in the room and i hear clearly the words of the apostle paul written from a prison cell it's all rubbish everything is all rubbish i can point to all these accomplishments says paul accomplishments of my flesh and it's all in the gutter for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection that I might lean into this life with Christ that I haven't got there but I will press I will press forward. If you say to me, what is the most satisfactory thing that's occurred in your life, what has given you the most fulfillment and the most meeting? It is when Jesus is so present, he is like the very breath, the very oxygen that is filling my life. I could sit through a lot of crazy church committee meetings for just one hour on a Sunday morning when I know the Holy Spirit was resting on a congregation. That made all the other crazy, crazy, bizarre stuff worth it. Give me 15 minutes with the real presence of Jesus and everything else is but rubbish. All the prestige, all the status, those crazy letters at the end of my name or before my name, the self-importance, the income. All those things pale and fade away and are meaningless in comparison of sitting in the real resurrected presence of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And to press into that presence. A couple of um, Easter's ago, just as COVID was lifting, I had a call from a church in a little village church way up in the mountains of Vermont, who said, Dale, uh, we're between pastors. We don't have anybody to come for Easter. Would you come? And nobody really ever invites me on Easter. That was one of the things I found weird when I accepted this new call, was Easter is a slow time of the year, right? Pastors generally are in town on Easter. Hey, uh, you know, would you take Easter off? No, you wouldn't take Easter off. And so I said to Laurie, I said, a little church over there in the hills of Vermont needs somebody on Sunday for Easter. They're just between pastors. They can't find anybody. Mind if we go? And Laurie's usually up for anything I ask. It's wonderful. Um, and she goes along with my risk taking all the time, huh? Most of the time. <laughs> she wouldn't let me go through a big stream of water in the road, though, last weekend in Ulm, which was a good thing. But I went to the, we went to this little church for an Easter Sunday morning up in this village in Vermont. And it was Easter Sunday, and 16 people were in church. There was two inches of wet snow on the ground, It was up high in the hills. And I have to say we had a wonderful time. (laughs) The presence of Jesus Christ in a town of several hundred people. In a little country sanctuary. With 16 people present. Was so powerful. And that coming just out of COVID. Just being together. And you knew Jesus Christ was real in there. A few weeks later, I was at a national denominational meeting. and This kind of grieves me. Somebody said, so what would you do for Easter? I said, oh, I had a great time. I got an invite to a church up in the hills of Vermont. There was 16 people out. There was two inches of wet snow on the ground. And the response back to me was but you're the executive minister what are you doing preaching in a church of 16 people on easter sunday morning and my response was out of patience and i said why wouldn't i why wouldn't i Don't we realize that all this self-promotion, all this political mechanisms, all this institutionalism, all this preoccupation with money and the self-promotion that goes along with raising it, all the letters that begin with M's and D's and B's and all these things, aren't they all rubbish, really? Aren't they meaningless and empty in the context of our world? For the sake of only knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the power and the real presence of the resurrected Jesus Christ in our lives. And I can go through a lot of stuff at the end of the day. Just share with me who's come to know this Christ and been transformed? When I was a local church pastor, I was always taking risk. Matter of fact, I'm sometimes surprised I didn't get fired. <laughs> I'm not sure it would have bothered me if I'd gotten fired, but uh, Laurie will tell you, I'm, I'm a risk taker. She's not, we balance each other out. But I remember one Sunday morning, one Sunday morning, and you have to remember, Laurie and I went to a church in 1986 that had voted the year before whether or not to close, and I was, quote, their last chance, and the search committee, which search committees still do, was following the logic that if we could just get a young pastor and spouse into the parsonage and they started having children the church would grow you ever heard that before just get a young pastor and they start producing kids it it, well we went to this church and they would just they said you're our last chance so laurie and i went and god was great it did happen but we were there about 11 years. And one Sunday morning, I was, up in the, I was up in the baptismal tank. And I was standing there with water up to my waist, like 750 gallons of water. We'd planned to baptize four people that Sunday. And, and we were in there, and the chair of my board of deacons was in the tank with me to help me bring people up. And by that point in time, the church had grown to up to about 120 people. And this was in a different context in our country at the time. I want to say that in just a very short time, this has happened. But back then, it was interesting to see a church go from 35 to 120 in 11 years. And I got done baptizing the fourth person. And the chair of the board of deacons was really attuned to what the Holy Spirit was saying. Because Bob looked at me and he says... God's not finished here yet. And I looked at Bob like, what? And then it hit me, and I knew exactly what Bob meant. I just felt the Holy Spirit speak deeply to me. And I looked over at our young worship leader, who is a student at Dartmouth. She's playing the keyboard. She's got a couple of young people on guitar. And I said, keep playing, keep playing. I did something I'd never heard of or saw anybody else do before in my life. This is New Hampshire, bordered on Vermont. This isn't Texas. I turn around, the water's up to my waist, and I look out at a congregation, maybe 120 people sitting there, and I said, you know, it's a beautiful summer day in June. I know you didn't bring a change of clothes. But we got plenty of towels. If you have been so touched by the testimony and the spirit of God this morning, I'll invite you to come right down that center aisle now. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you want to make a recommitment to Jesus Christ, I'll invite you right up here now when you street clothes and baptize you. Now, you know what's going on in the tape in the back of my head? I just violated about a page and a half of church bylaws. <laughs> I, just, I just threw something. I just took it, and, and I'm like, yeah, you know, six weeks of baptismal classes, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, good thing they didn't make the Ethiopian eunuch do this. We'd never gotten out of the chariot, you know. And, and, and I'm there. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I am really going to get at, at the next deacon's meeting. Like Lucy and Desi, I will have some explaining to do. <laughs> this is going to be bad. And yet, I got Bob there with me in the tank, and I'm just feeling this weight of the spirit saying, you know, I'm really here. Take the risk. Go for it. I did an invitation from a baptismal tank and I'd never seen a soul do that before. Except maybe Greg Laurie at the Jesus Revolution did it. I don't know. Nine people got up in their street clothes and came down and I baptized them. And I looked out and there was hardly a dry eye left in 120 people. And in Northern New Hampshire, I can say, the presence of God was so palatable. It was like for a few moments, the Shekinah glory, the cloud had come down and rested on a little congregation. In the greatest part of that day, I didn't have a peep at the next deacon's meeting. (laughs) What's the most satisfying and meaningful and fulfilling thing I've ever experienced in ministry? It's when the real presence of Jesus Christ is there. Everything else is is but rubbish. Everything else is all these things that are footnotes or, or gravy or whatever you want to call it. but just give me the breath of the Holy Spirit and all will be well. People ask me often now, they they say, so what do you think the future of the church is like? And you know, in the last several years of my life, I've been privileged to sit in on some, quote, national conversations about the re-evangelization of North America, that's a biggie. I personally think it's going to be because of a wave of missionaries from the global south coming to the United States and Canada but that's another topic. Ministry is going to be highly relational, it's going to be highly labor-intensive, and sometimes it will be done in a hostile environment, and other times it will be done in what I call the clueless environment because there is no Christian memory in the bulk of American society any longer some have described it as there's no Sunday school memory there was a time when somebody you said do you know the Lord's Prayer and so, Oh, yeah my grandmother took me to Sunday school and I learned it even those kind of points of contact with people ended highly relational highly labor intensive highly non-pretentious or arrogant or mean as Paul also says in Philippians let your gentleness be known to everybody And in this gentleness, remember that compassion never negates the pursuit of holiness, nor the pursuit of holiness negate compassion. For they are one and the same in the greatest commandment. And ministry will need to dive deep into the real presence of the resurrected power of Jesus Christ and the overwhelming, transforming work of the Spirit of God. People say, what's the most meaningful thing in your life? Just give me some more mornings when somebody confesses Christ, comes into the transforming, life-changing relationship with Christ, and begins a journey from here into eternity, and let me get in the water with them. And everything else is stuff in the gutter for the sake of this kingdom, for the sake of this counterculture, for the sake of this Lord and Savior who came in total humility and died and rose again. For an individual who was a nine-year-old boy sitting in an afternoon Bible club who when asked, would you like to pray and invite Jesus into your heart? He did. I want to end with one last story. It's a story from what I now refer to as my quaint little heart attack. Yeah, two years ago at Botch, I had this quaint little heart attack. Um, it was at the height of COVID, so Laurie dropped me off at the emergency room and left me there and didn't see me again until they wheeled me out the front door of Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in Lebanon. And I had this heart attack, like on Friday, went home and took some Tylenol. Thought I would sleep it off. Huh, Laurie? Then I got up just before supper and said, I'm having some really bad pains in my chest and left arm. When you get through supper, when you guys have finished eating, because my daughter and son-in-law are there, somebody could take me to the hospital, see what's going on. Of course, nobody was willing to eat supper by that point. (laughs) So I go to the hospital. This is around 5 o'clock. They admit me. They put me in. Laurie can't be with me. There's a visiting nurse, a young man, who's with me for 12-hour shifts. And I heard his story. He's from Uganda. And he's come from Uganda via London, via Boston, to via traveling nurse to DHMC in Lebanon, New Hampshire. And this young man from Uganda hasn't got the memo because he looks on my chart and he sees who I am and what I do and he says, pastor, I'm going to pray for you that Jesus is going to heal you while we're here. I mean, he ain't got the memo from HIPAA and the American medical system at the moment. He says, pastor, I'm praying for you. And I'm thinking, you know, Wow, what a sovereign God. My wife and family can't be with me, so God brings me a brother from East Africa to hang with me while I'm recovering from this heart attack. At about midnight, something happened that set off every monitor outside there at the desk in the cardiac care unit. I don't know what I did. I was just laying there thinking I was getting better. But anyways, bells and whistles, whatever happens, happens, you know. And the whole cardiac care team comes rushing in, including the head guy himself. And, and I watch them wheel in the crash cart. And I'm looking at it. And the presence of God filled the room. I grieved and I worried the phone call that my wife and family might get. For myself, there was a total absence of anxiety and fear. For I knew in the next conscious moment, I would be with Jesus Christ. And whatever happened within that next hour as people were scurrying about me and pumping stuff into my IV line, I would be okay. Because of the power of the resurrected Jesus, and that I might know him and his suffering, and in his resurrection and in his power, in his grace, in his love, in his mercy. Yeah, and God would take care of my family. But when I opened my eyes again, it would be unspeakable and inexplicable to be in his presence that I have only briefly tasted in time and eternity and everything else is rubbish and while all this scurrying was going on this is between 11 and midnight i looked over and saw my brother from uganda it was not part of the scurrying around the bed with his arms folded leaning against the wall with his head down. And after about 45 or 50 minutes of all this scurrying, they said, everything's okay now. Whatever you were indicating has stopped. what's the most satisfying gratifying meaningful fulfilling thing I have ever known in 40 years of ministry or 50 something years of being a Christian is simply this nothing compares to the true ultimate reality of the very presence and knowledge of the resurrected and coming again, Jesus Christ. Amen.